Welcome to the Stargate Archives, buried deep within Cheyenne Mountain. Good evening, good afternoon, good morning everybody. Welcome back to the Stargate Archives formerly known as the Gatecast, in which we're taking another look at the first season of Stargate SG-1. Once again, Brad has graciously obliged to get up nice and early. How are you, Brad? <laughs> very good, Mike. I'm sensing a theme here. Yeah, it's getting very repetitive. <laughs> Once I get you into a rhythm, you'll get to the point where that should have been something I was doing this morning. What was it? <laughs> yeah, we're back to our normal recording schedule. We started way back in Season 7 of SG-1 for the Tuesday morning records. Ah, for a while. Tuesday evening used to be Alan and mine regular yeah. day to record. Then real life got into the mix and it became pretty much any time we could fit people in. Yeah, well, that's it. And plus guests as well. You sort of accommodate guests and recording all over the place. Yep. That makes it more interesting. It does. Right, I had a word with Jeff, asked him if he fancied doing an episode or two. He says, yeah, love to, but he refused to do Cold Lazarus. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> I told him, recording on Sunday, Property Divide, and Cold Lazarus is next. And I says, I'm not doing that one. Yeah. <laughs> right, this week's episode is going to be the Brocket Divide. An interesting episode. <laughs> Especially coming after Emancipation. Yes, the first season, there are lots of interesting episodes. <laughs> that is a very good way to put it. <laughs> yep. Uh, the Brocket Divide first aired in America August the 15th, 1997, directed by William Geraghty, uh, one of his 12 episodes of Stargate SG-1, and written by Jonathan Glasner, the co-creator of Stargate SG-1 as well. A few new faces to the show introduced in this episode. We'll get to them shortly. We'll kick off then, shall we, Brad? Yeah, let's do it. Right then, the episode opens up in, well, Cheyenne Mountain, of course, nice establishing shot, right into the briefing room. They've interviewed the last of the people that come through from Chulak, and uh, they reckon they've got the symbols to where Scar and Sharae went. Well, an educated guess, or deductive reasoning, as Jack puts it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we get a nice little funny line from him here. Yeah, very early... Something that became very much part of Jack's character. He'd, he'd throw in the big words every now and again and get that reaction from everybody, even Tilk at times. Yeah. Well, General Hammond actually mentions the M-A-L-P as well. Oh, that is in my note, because he says probes right after it. Yeah. Gone to a world. It's a bit dark. Yeah. <laughs> Lights aren't working. Seems a bit strange. Daniel isn't really very happy about this, but... Uh... There's a lot to be said for... This is a very expensive piece of kit, obviously, they're bringing in. They've mentioned it before, in one form or another. But it, it relies on a couple of spotlights. That's not very forward-thinking. Yeah, well, Daniel says later on when they're on the ramp and he gets handed a night vision, how come the map doesn't have much these? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it, it seems reasonable to put on some sort of probe devices. Yeah, that's a real weird setup because Hammond's gone, there's no... The lights aren't working, and Jack's like, well, what are we going into? And it's just like, well, you're going anyways. <laughs> it almost seems, it doesn't seem like Hammond. Very cavalier approach to the safety of his men. Yeah. But they have got backup, SG-3, a marine <laughs> detachment. Yeah, watch our backsides, not our front sides. <laughs> this is the first introduction of Colonel Matepeace, played by Steve McCash. He appears in five early episodes of uh, SG-1. Mm. 
and there's some great back and forth between him and uh, Jack. Flyboy Jarhead. Yeah, you'd you think they probably have served together at some point in the past. I doubt either of them would be that flippant if they were newly introduced to each other or only been serving together for a couple of weeks. Yeah, and especially bases like this where you got joint ventures between the forces. We Same thing over here. You have the little inter-service rivalry and that going on. I want to name a fun just to try and keep a bit of levity in the air. It's also we get the Carter dump, I'll start calling it, with the planet numbering systems. Oh, yes. Yeah, the P3X. Why can't we come up with something simpler? Well, this is simple. Computer yeah. designation codes and P for planet, you know. It makes perfect sense. Yes, it does. Because yeah. <laughs> the computer's working in binary. <laughs> and I had to try and write this down. Computer extra- extrapolation. Yeah. Thank you, Carter, for your uh, infinite wisdom. Yeah, in other words, it makes it up. Well, yeah, technically. Yeah. Right, we jump to the gate room where, as you said, uh, we get the goggles. A lot of development into the night vision goggles still to come. Yeah. They look pretty basic. Hardly stealthy if you're creeping around a very dark area with these bright green lights on your head. Yep, and we get Jack and Daniel. Daniel's worried about his front side, not SG... Free coming through on the backside, but Jack doesn't want them going through first and shooting anyone they see. Being Scar and Sharae. That makes sense, but they're going into the unknown, so you'd have thought the actual combat unit should go first. Yeah, plus they got snakes in the head, so I'm sure there's a sarcophagus or something. Someone does get shot. Yeah, that's the point. They're actually they're trying to trace where Gara and Apophis actually dial to. So, although truth be told. Tilk has first prime, should pretty much have an educated guess, saying, I don't recognise that address. Yeah, especially with what we learn later. Yeah, but of course, this is also the beginnings where Tilk doesn't volunteer information. <laughs> You've got to ask him a specific question at a specific yep. time. <laughs> Get more than one word answer. Yeah. Right, they jump through to the planet. It's actually not that dark once the gate is active. Quite bright, really. And we get the longest tank count ever. <laughs> yes. That went on a long time. I was thinking, that's, come on, it two, three seconds before we even jump back to SU-1. Mm. And we're getting very ominous music as well. They do really overplay that theme throughout this episode. It's, I've got it in my notes a couple of times. Yeah. We haven't got another theme for or anything. We ratchet up that Gould theme, which doesn't really fit at times. I was saying, we know that Joel did the vast majority of music for the show. I wonder where exactly he took full reign of uh, producing a score for every episode. Yeah, well, the catalogue wasn't as full this early on. It could be a deliberate attempt, you know, making the audience believe they are in a gold stronghold when we actually learn that they're not. <laughs> yeah, but we get it later on as well after we even know that and you got people running around the base sick. you got it playing there too. It's like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> there was nothing else on the track. They spot a number of figures in the shadows, kind of circling around the gate. And getting closer. <laughs> yes, very close. And, you know, isn't very... SG-1 does not perform well this early on when it comes to defensive positions. No. It's almost as if they're just standing watching them, thinking, what's going to happen now? Stand still, because we need to use night vision through the cameras. Exactly. And they get jumped by something. And whatever it is, it likes to put the boot in. Yeah. Thankfully, SG-3 do come through the gate, fire into the air, well-restrained there, although I suppose they could end up hitting SG-1 if they tried to take out some of these, whatever they are. Yeah. The noise seems to send a lot of people off running into the distance, and, well, 
<laughs> Thanks for saving us. Yeah. Or not. <laughs> <laughs> it's like even Jack realises that, hey, you may have been a little bit longer than you should have been. Yeah. <laughs> we once again get guns scaring a local population by firing into the air. It's reasonable. If, if a native population aren't used to that volume or unexpected sounds, it'd work. Even now, in this day and age, when somebody fires a assault rifle above your head, then you take a step back. Mm. Having a walk through the forest and they hear some noises and some lights in the distance, some sort of little encampment, looks like a lot of people, looks either like something from the, the 60s or <laughs> maybe from Burning Man or something like that. A lot of strangely dressed people, very hairy people, doing some sort of dance around the fire. Obviously, a female is fully clothed. Certainly a very graphic, tempted rape. Yes, and then we get straight after the last episode, Carter, we need to stop him. And Daniel, oh, it's survival of the fittest, and all that sort of stuff. And it's like, yeah, well, it's rape. You just had this exact same issue on the previous mission where you jumped in where you shouldn't have. And now you're about to do it all over again. Yeah, without knowing the culture you are intervening with. If you look in the wildlife, a lot of sexual relations between the male and the female, it's not really that voluntary. No. There's not that much courtship going on in some species. The female of the species doesn't want to bend over if there's a male around. Mm, especially spiders. It ends in death. They do intervene again, don't they? Yeah. So some people dressed all in white throwing oh, yeah. robes, aren't they, with little lanterns? Slingshot. Throwing rock <laughs> things at them. Highly developed culture. Get away, get away, get away. <laughs> <laughs> That's when they decide to fire the guns in the air again. Mm. We get information. One of these white-clad figures claims they are the untouched. Yep. And they consider Jack and company as gods coming through the, the Stargate, of course. Jack, no, we're not gods, but obviously these people, you know, that's what they believe. You've you got to play along. If that's your way into the culture without actually causing any harm, you might as well take it. Well, that's it. Only the gods use the Stargates. So they better get used to that treatment. Yeah. Crying out loud. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, not the f- not for the first time in this episode. Mm. Right, we get a nice little map painting and a close-up of the city, which is very much... Well, it's Minoan. Obviously, there's Greek influences, the Minotaur and all that. Yes. Actually looks pretty impressive. I mean, it doesn't look expensive. A lot of it is pretty basic stuff, but rather large set. It looks pretty good. Mm. Yeah, it's landed a lot, even the interior. Like, all the uh, sculpture work, it all looks good. And we get the first of our, what I call, gatecast intro clips number five. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this episode did supply quite a lot of them. Yeah, yeah, you pulled heavy from this one. (laughs) (laughs) If you've got to make something quick, you grab an episode you're familiar with. Yep. Tuplo, played by Gerard Plunkett. He is a leader of these people. His wife, Lidora, played by Nicole Oliver. They explain that the evil gods touched these people with a sickness or with the curse. That's where the phrase touched and untouched came from. The two cultures are separated by a very dramatic planetary effect. <laughs> I hate that. Yes, it's uh, it's basically, if you know nothing about planetary and you know solar rotation or anything like that, you can go with it. If you know even the basics, you go, this is ridiculous. Well, even if it's just a dark side, the planet doesn't rotate. Bins, that'd be the coldest part. At that transition point. There wouldn't be much vegetation, would there? No, just make it a real dense forest. There's no line in a dense forest. You don't have to have a <laughs> black line where night stops and daylight starts. I know it happens in Lord of the Rings, but their forests are quite lively. Yeah. Jack is convinced that there's not a go-old present, so he's, we're, we're done here, let's go. Daniel, oh, look, 
research, uh, looking to ancient cultures that are actually alive and living the lives as they did 2,000 years ago on Earth. You know, we've, we've got to investigate. But sod that, let's go back to the SGC, where Daniel continues to berate Hammond in the gate room. And Hammond lets him hang. <laughs> he gives him enough rope to hang himself. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we get we get a bit of a, a payoff. Lieutenant Johnson, Danny Watley, who was giving Tilk the eye even early on, is giving Tilk the eye even more now. He doesn't look very pleased being at the same table as the Jafar. Mm, now it starts frothing at the mouth, baring his teeth. Yeah, so he, he loses it big time. You know, he, God bless him. Not many people are willing to lay their hands on Tilk. Yeah. Of course, Tilk just stands up, grabs him by the shoulder, grabs him <laughs> by the wrist, pins him to the table and holds him there. General Hammond, I do not wish to harm this man. <laughs> no. <laughs> Guards come in, take him to the infirmary under restraint. Yes, sir. And then you see Sam scratching an itch on the neck as well. Yeah. Not good. No. And then you get Daniel and Sam in the gay room. It's like, oh, what do you reckon was wrong there? Maybe he was drunk. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> you just see people running around in the forest acting the same way, and now you think this guy's drunk. Yeah, early on, the SGC didn't take as many precautions as they did later on in the series. Mm. They learned the odd way that they could bring back some very nasty bugs. Well, that's that's in the latest scene where we get Hammond and Janin that saying we've probably brought something through. Hammond's like, oh, well, that, that seals the deal then. I'm sealing the mountain. Yeah. That's it. I'm, I'm doing it. Okay, you should have done it a little bit earlier, but we'll get to that. Don't we get the two people come through to, through to glass here while they're in the gate room? Oh, of course, yes. Yeah. Right. Yes, you're right. The non-bulletproof glass in a missile silo. <laughs> <laughs> they can, two people can throw themselves through it. A nice follow down with the camera as well. Mm. It looked fatal for at least one of them. Yeah, whoever hit the ground first. <laughs> yeah. We've got to assume uh, one of them was a member of SG3. Yeah. Jack's minding his own business, showered, shaved, splashing on the cologne, he's going out for the night. You should have had the Jaws music as Carter <laughs> approached him. She looked ready for business. Not really a fan of this scene. <laughs> it's interesting to note, of course, that Amanda's gone on record when they were doing the original costuming, they wanted her to wear more tight T-shirts and she'd wear military gear. That's what she is, she's military. And obviously the producers agreed with her. This was probably early on when maybe a few of the more visceral voices won the day. Yep. The tank top, she looks good. But why would Samantha go to the sexual side, whereas most of the men so far have gone to the more aggressive side? That's probably pushing it a bit. Yeah, well, even the talking as well. Like, we didn't need the dialogue as well. She could have just jumped him. Yeah. Pinned him down on the bench and Jack would go, what the hell's going on here? Yeah, because we, we see later on when they're fully infected that they can't really talk. It's just more grunts and growls and more of that animalist side. But just the whole, oh, don't you want me and all that sort of stuff, it's just, yeah. Yeah, a few seasons on where the relationship had developed to the point where everybody knows they like each other, but they're never going to do anything. If you remove one of the other's inhibitions, then you could understand it. Yeah. This early on, this is like saying that Samantha has already got the hots with Jack and only a willpower is stopping it from jumping him. Yeah. Couldn't believe that for one second. Well, yeah, that's it. That's it. I'm sure there's a lot of other strapping Marines there in charge of their units. Make peace, for instance. There's a locker full of very well-built young men. But that was it. And it got a few smiles from many fans and some rolling eyes from many others, I imagine. Yep. Let's go see Doc Fraser. <laughs> yes. Daryl Roffrey's making her first appearance in SG-1. 
first of 75 episodes. So he's got isolation cells. Yay! Well, they've been converted, haven't they, from barracks and... Oh, no, later on they start using barracks and storerooms and everything else. Yeah, basically they had little rooms with keys on. Yeah. You know, with lockable doors, which they transformed into isolation cells. Unfortunately, with these people losing control of their emotions, becoming violent, putting them in a room without padding and with lots of metal objects is not a good thing. Well, that's when they start saying they're throwing them in storerooms and I go, are you emptying the storerooms first? Like, <laughs> yeah. there's, there's a lot of hallways with just junk lying in it because there's, yeah. they need the room. There's plenty of room in the armoury. Put them in there. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, at that point, I'm thinking, well, sedatum, knock them out totally. Yeah, exactly. Obviously, they can get their hands on huge amounts of medication. It doesn't look too good for them. Yeah, well, she says they like, give them a large dose of sedatives, but sort of dangerous and they wear off pretty quickly, but... That's just to keep them docile. You'd think it's not to actually fully knock them out. Yeah, you should be able to put some, put some sort of drip in them that keep them under. Hmm. Anyhow, we jump now to the control room. I was rather annoyed at Daniel. He just put his polystyrene cup on a counter and just left it there. <laughs> Don't do that around computers. No, it's, it's just plain messy. Mm. And he gets to talk to Jack, and Jack kind of spilled out what happened. Sam, locker room, seduce me. And Daniel, Daniel's just kind of what? Oh, you poor man. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I will say the way Jack, you know, actually recounts the uh, little incident, you know, he doesn't kind of late on that fit that one of his team is now, you know, in isolation. It's just done for laughs and it's serious. Then Jack, Jack reacts to uh, Daniel, you know, saying he's going to visit Sam. And there goes those glasses. It <laughs> <laughs> does, yeah. Three or four punches with, with Daniel and his glasses. Not bad. And Walter. Walter jumps Jack. Yeah. Good for Walter. He's he's really, uh, for somebody who hasn't got a name yet, he's doing well. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Jack is dragged off, so that's uh, two members of SG-1, at least three of SG-3. Numerous other people coming down with whatever, so uh, obviously contagious. It's interesting here too, I noticed for the first time it would probably come up in the uh, initial attack when they went through the Stargate, but Jack gets his ice scar here that we see for the rest of the series. Is it? Right. Yeah, when he's um, talking to Daniel, he's got the tape over the eye, lash, or the eyelid, but um, I'm guessing this is where it is, it's in the same spot, unless there was something earlier. I never really noticed that. No, I didn't notice it in Emancipation, I just noticed they had the stitches or the tape on the eye early in this episode, and I know it's there for the rest of the series. Well, I say Richard E. Nansen has got more scars over his body from his TV work, especially <laughs> MacGyver, where he did most of his own stunts. Yeah. Yeah, but it's off to infirmary. Yep. Mr. Tilk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Tilk. I love that. Daniel's got some stats on him in this episode. <laughs> it's like, how do I know? That's why you were the Doctor Doctor when they're trying to find out I why. Know. What, what's with the Doctor Doctor? I don't know if it's just he's coming down with it as well and he's starting to get narky or, or what it is, but thought he was doing it before they even left for the plant too with the night yeah. vision and everything else. Like, it, Yeah, a few characters you, not really acting the way they should be in this episode. You get the feeling that this may have originally intended to be a very comedic episode and it just didn't turn out to be. Yeah. Maybe the A-plot with the actual virus proved a little bit too dark to carry off the very light-hearted banter that surrounds it. Yeah. General Hammond, office, red phone, president calls him. Yes, Mr. President, we've had a little, little issue. I've sealed off the base. <laughs> we may have brought a virus that can decimate the whole world. Sorry about that. Where's the Firestorm protocol? We get in a later episode, very specifically, we're enacting, oh, wildfire it is, enacting wildfire. 
still off the mountain. We get our stock footage of the big door closing. We've got none of that. If there's a virus loose, then you've got to burn it out. You've got to nuke the place. Well, that's it. Why hasn't he set himself struck yet? He loves doing it so Good much. Point. There's no, there's, there's no timer running in the background. We've got two hours to sort this out, otherwise, fire will. That'd been all right, wouldn't it, if you had a timer on screen? Ticking clock. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 24 star. Boop, boop. Pretty sure that would work for a lot of episodes of a Stog SG1. Mm. Janet's had a bit of a breakthrough. She's figured out that uh, Daniel and Tilk are immune to whatever this is. Obviously, a blood sample from them is needed. More importantly, a blood sample from some of the inhabitants on P3X797. The untouched. Yeah. Only the two of them are going. They're the only ones that are <laughs> immune, that seems. Yeah, no backup. No. <laughs> Which one of you knows how to take a blood sample? Yeah, <laughs> let me show you. <laughs> can, I, can I just bring one of these people back? It'd be so much easier. Yeah. How many times did they trial that on someone? <laughs> How many bent needles and everything? Yes, I can't find a vein. Well, I reckon Took would have picked it up pretty quick. Probably, yeah. Daniel would have just been like, you do it, I'll watch. Because <laughs> you're the doctor, doctor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, they get back to the planet. They find the daughter of Tuplo, Melosia, again, just left in the forest. Yeah. She's not having a very good day. Yeah, she's been dumped there. It's funny, Tony, before we get to there, when they run up the ramp, Tilk, this is the last time we see him in a combat helmet. Cold Lazarus is going full head. We'll get to that next week. Yeah, they just dump to back out. Yeah, it sounds like, you know, they grab whatever member of their family is, has come down with this virus, run as deep into the forest as they dare, drop them off and run away. Yeah. You'd think they'd have some sort of altar or, you know, old oak tree that had been sawn off so they could put a body there and just, you know, the touch come out and grab them. Leave a bit of food there as well. <laughs> alcohol. And... Yeah, they're very cavalier about going in and out of the jungle when... They don't know that they're immune. They just think that they're untouched. When something could change and they could become touched, and they've got to go out there as well. Yeah, it's not as if there's any foreknowledge of who is going to turn and who isn't. Yeah. To them, there doesn't seem to be a pattern. The gods turn up, they feel their influence, and one of their people gets infected. Mm. But we get Tilki being the voice of reason. Daniel wants to take her back. And he's like, well, she was put here for a reason. And uh, we're doing the same thing on Earth, locking people away. Well, Daniel has got a habit of picking up strange women on alien planets. <laughs> we'll get to that a little bit later. <laughs> That's when the natives touched and make their presence known. A very well-organised attack on two fronts. Mm. Although why the gunfire scared away one group but not the other? Yeah. Obviously, the muzzle flash must also uh, play a part in it. Yeah, or control and fire. Yeah, after Tilt's run off his half of the, the attackers, he turns around, Daniel's disappeared, <laughs> only his glasses remain. There goes Daniel. <laughs> Jump back to the SEC. Hammond is with Jack. This is not looking good. No. Janet dopes Jack up again, has the chance to speak at animalistic side and gets to have a little bit of a conversation. What is it? Is it a dream? Convenient, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> she didn't want to experiment on anybody, but Jack, he seems all for it. Yep. Obviously, to do anything at the moment, she needs that native blood sample to either confirm a hypothesis or actually rule out anything before she starts sticking needles into people with drugs that she's not quite sure is going to do any good. <laughs> mm. Although I, I do like the brow ridges. <laughs> you know? Oh, man. Don't, she says it earlier, like, brow ridges grow, more follicle growth. That's a weird parasite. Yeah, that's bone structure. Yeah, Exactly. That's almost like nanites, isn't it? Actually altering the body structure. 
Yeah. Not just some sort of simple virus. Especially with how quickly it goes away too. Yeah, well, that's that's always the downside of most science fiction when they have a, a major physical change to a character. A couple of days later, the writer's reign again, you go, how? Yeah, that that's one thing I've got here. It's just the brow ridges and that, that's all bone. That's not swelling or skin. To have a virus that specifically makes you look like a primate or whatever else, like even the hair, <laughs> the hair only growing between the eyelids, between the eyebrows, like no one's got hairy arms or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, very selective, isn't it? Yeah, it's almost like they're zombies and not, thing else, just lower brain function, the basic need to survive and eat and everything else. Yeah, they, they probably could have achieved exactly the same result with some contact lenses, making the skin look a bit more scarred, more pockmarked, you know, making them look more feral. Yeah. As opposed to actually significant physical changes. Or just make it a deadly disease. Don't make, <laughs> yeah. don't make it something that changes you into a monkey man. Like, I know 97 was Chicago Hope running a deadly disease week or something where they couldn't copy it. <laughs> <laughs> right, we jump back to the planet where... Duplo and Lidora are very pragmatic. Their daughter is dead. She is touched. She is no longer one of the untouched. Therefore, she is dead. They give up on life very easily. Yes, they pretty much can rationalise anything that Daniel or Tilt say. Mm. You know, they're not even interested in any blood samples or anything like that. Uh, They're not interested in... Not long back, they thought these guys were gods. (laughs) Do anything for you, mate. Come on, come in, have some supper. They're getting kicked out. Yeah. When I come back, you'll be gone. Yeah. Okay. And it's just like, she says, even even my father's out there. It's like, you do realise it's dangerous out there. They're not just out there living their life out in this different form. They're like fighting each other. and. Well, yeah, they're, they're like animals. Perhaps you should put them down for their own good. Exactly. What's to say these animals aren't going to just wander over that black line, and especially when things get hungry? One day, sod this. Mm. <laughs> they're going to start getting pitchforks and sticks and coming after some food. <laughs> Yes, those two very heavily muscled, oiled-up guards, they don't know what's the, what they're in for. No. Tilk casually strolls up. Evening, lads. Can you help me with this? <laughs> Look, behind you. <laughs> Takes one out, knocks the other one out, gets a blood sample and hoofs it. Uh, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. That's it. You know, very impressive musculature on the two guys, but they were not exactly flexible or manoeuvrable when it came to hand-to-hand combat. <laughs> They're like a very civilised castle guard. They're not even used to actually doing anything except looking ornamental. Well, look at them. Look at them. Who's going to go up against them? Like, they stand in front of a door and cross their arms like, OK, yep, I understand. I'm turning away now. <laughs> not even going to try this. We must cut back to Daniel monkeying up in the bush here because this is where I got where to get his loincloth from, but I think it must have been someone else coming across the screen. Well, this early on, Daniel's pretty much getting beat up, isn't he? Yeah. He hasn't kind of made his mark on the pack yet although at this point you know he's probably still very much uh, untouched well yeah as we've learned the uh, antihistamines probably haven't worn off yet yeah good work mr Tilk. Tilk gets a she's still doing it yeah, <laughs> yeah. you're tired before and she does it three times in this episode there's another one coming up <laughs> i suppose if you're if you're arguing the fact that this this may be a first posting or first interaction with level 28 and the sg teams why not? She's just being polite. She doesn't know Tilk enough to call him just Tilk. It does make sense. But even that should be a any civilians. Jackson should be the same. But I don't think she doesn't address him, so we don't get that dialogue. Yeah, maybe Tilk is top secret, so yeah. the medicals are being done. 
a lot of the medicals are being done on other levels and Dilk gets his done on level 28. My guess is he's not gone above 28 yet. Yeah. <laughs> right, we've got a Code 5 lockdown, whatever that means. Uh, Janet has figured out the histamine levels are the result or the cause of the virus proliferating. Thankfully, Daniel's allergies and Janet's as well that have kept them immune so far. Yep. And she's come up with a solution, an antihistamine that could work, but uh, of course, got to give it to Jack. Yes. And I'm not sure you can claim informed consent at this point. No. You know, you've got a guinea pig. He's not going to say, he can't say no. Yeah, so that's, that's, you haven't got a legal leg to stand on if something happened. Of course, in the military, that's not really that big a deal, but... And Tilk really doesn't understand menaces, like, please explain. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I don't get this. I don't get this at all. Lucy, I'm home. Yes. Nice. (laughs) I'm not Lucy. (laughs) (laughs) A quick montage. Everything seems to be sorted out rather quickly. Hammond's in there. We don't hear Pete from him the whole time. Like, did they have him drugged? Because he was strapped into that trolley. When they brought him into the isolation unit and, you know, said we're having to double people up, we're running out of space, it looked like he was on a wheeled trolley. Yeah, you know, strapped like up. Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. <laughs> Just wheeled him in. He'll be all right, don't mind him. Yeah. Which, again, you've, you've left the perfect thing to restrain him to the last person that's infected. Where was that? <laughs> They've come up with a solution. Luckily, Stargate Command has almost unlimited supply of tranquilizer guns. <laughs> I wouldn't have thought they were, you know, standard issue, but yeah. okay. Didn't we have Zats at this time? Well, oh, no, we don't get them until Serpent's Grasp. Ah, uh, that's right, because he's got, you know, Tilk actually explains to Jack exactly what it is. Yeah, let's make a smaller name. <laughs> right, back to the planet. Daniel is full caveman head of the <laughs> head of the pack it's like he's taken over yeah he's, he's got this choice of his female yeah having a grand old time he, one of the guys has got the biggest bone in his hand i'm thinking <laughs> what sort of animal have you taken down for that femur or whatever <laughs> it's got, huge he's got the brontosaurus bone <laughs> no oh, that's something from the flintstones <laughs> well i was gonna say it's funny i just rewatched the original flintstones the other day in the movie <laughs> um, yeah it's just we, like you said earlier survival of the fittest Head of the pack takes a female and everything, and here he is. He's coming, he's taken over everyone, the dirty little scientist. I wonder if he had enough intellect during the transition where he was able to use the fire to his advantage. Mm. Obviously, he's not going to be anybody on pure aggressiveness. Although, who knows? <laughs> well, he'd be the, be the fittest if he's coming, just reverting, because he'd be in better health, where that'd be sort of no, nourished. That's true, yeah. Maybe it's the size of the unibrow, because it was impressive. <laughs> His eyebrow was bushy, proud and bushy. Yeah. <laughs> That's what the lady's like, by the looks of it. Yeah. Of course, he eventually springs towards the SG teams. He gets shot with a trank, he goes down. Jack, Daniel, keep this up on every planet. <laughs> keep this up, you'll have a woman on every planet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, brings his glasses with him. Mm. The rescue everybody, the daughter Melosia, obviously. Was was that the girl that was with Daniel? I couldn't tell. Because we didn't really see a good look of her face before she turned fully. Yeah. And the outfit looked similar, but I couldn't be sure. I assume we're meant to believe that's Melosia. Yeah, it might, it might have been a stand-in or something for the scenes, but I think the, the dress has stayed, stayed persistent the whole time. Yeah. So they grab Daniel, they take him to the city, uh, meet up with... Tuplo again, not happy to see him back. Not very happy they've brought one of the touched into the city as well, but 
Jack's explained to him, we found a cure, We've, we can sort this out. Put him in a cell. Cell? Put him in a cell. No bars, no walls, just a mat? Yeah, Tilk walks around the end of the dining table and up a small flight of stairs and <laughs> drops him underneath the bull onto a mat. Yes, they're very trusting people, aren't they? Well, I was expecting some sort of hollow bars or something to come up laser bars. Yeah, something, you know, thing to go, ooh, <laughs> someone's got technology, but no. Yeah. And the wait, tick-tock, tick-tock, Daniel wakes up, oh, where am I, where am I? Headache. And this is when Tilt gives him his glasses back. Yeah. Amazing, they're cured, we can bring everybody back now, and they have a nice, quiet walk out. Half a dozen of them, the city that size, there must be thousands of people there, but only half a dozen go with him. Mm. <laughs> you know, as the leader of these people, I'd expect more of an honour guard at least, just yeah. in case. Yeah, well, that's it. How many people are left? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be him. There's only us left. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You get the scale of the size of the city, but not the population. Like, Yeah. How many people are being touched? Yeah, 10 years ago, there were 10,000 of us. Last week, there was 100 of us. Now there's just five of us. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but Melosia, the daughter, appears. The father appears. Still alive. <laughs> Still in good health. Considering how old he was and the diet he was having and being exposed to whatever, remarkable. Well, you'd been uh, like older, you'd think, okay, well, he's getting eaten tonight. <laughs> yeah, hunting's been scarce. Grandad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, just, it's just weird. Like, there's no apparent danger of being one of the touched, or were you just out living in the sticks? <laughs> foraging for food and everything else there's no like there was no woman or something like where's my husband or no one was missing people come back that were expected to come back yeah i think i think this is i mean this is a perfect example of a story that probably demanded more time and more money yeah they could have gone into the untouched in a lot more a lot, a lot more depth a lot more detail obviously the the city as well as we've been saying but this is, you see, this is a TV episode. Everything's, even with a large scale, it's filmed in. You know, the woodland, the city itself, the story is more. Mm. As Stargate SG-1 fans, as Stargate fans in general, we learn that there are some stories that are not going to get the money spent on them, especially if they're not CGI heavy. And this was virtually all practical effects. Yeah. And that's great to see, even though we didn't really need them that much. <laughs> no, no, they could have dialed back some of the prosthesis, but... No, they don't try this again until, really, I suppose, the fourth horseman in season 11, where we get this... Season 11? Nine. <laughs> you say, I missed that one. <laughs> a lot did. Yeah, and it's a bit harder in season nine, where we get this sort of global pandemic come back and actual go global, but... And it's interesting, too, they did a little walk back to the gate. Jack doesn't remember if Carter remembers something. The knife scar, and uh, you won't be able to wear that sweet little tank top. Yes. number <laughs> which again all comes back they're all wearing tank tops in season nine so but come on last week they mentioned a trip to a planet where she ended up naked yeah assuming she may have had one or two very strategically placed leaves <laughs> yeah there's not much they probably haven't seen mm. i mean the episode finishes rather well everybody's saved they've given the people some medication so that all the untouched can be cured I assume this is not a global thing, yeah. one settlement, as with many of the planets. They haven't expanded greatly across the face of their planet. I think the uh, the Gord kind of makes sure that exploration for exploration's sake is not something they drill into their former slaves. Yeah. Do they have the clothing and the resources to have this large population suddenly come back into the city? 
Mm, it depends how they've uh, distributed the uh, possessions of the people they've thrown into the forest. Well, yeah. <laughs> An hour later, well, they're gone. Here, you take this. Yeah. So the land of the light has made a friend with Earth, and that will come back to be a benefit later on. Yeah. Pity they haven't got any significant technology that they could appease the Pentagon, but uh, baby steps. Yeah, we just need to make friends first. And that was the Broca Divide, named after Pierre-Paul Broca and his uh, research into how populations develop language within the brain. Yes, the second info dump from Carter early on, which should have been 100% Daniel's time to shine. You would have thought so, yes. Although, as we learn, Carter's education is uh, widespread (laughs) and covers many subjects. Genetics, medicine... Well, Frasier. She would have been another another good one to bring that sort of information forward. Yeah. And there was one other thing too here in my notes. When they're talking about the Patch evil gods and the Gould aren't there, but the Gould are referenced as the good gods, <laughs> which makes me wonder, okay, are we talking Asgard? Are the Asgard the oh, ones interesting. that... Interesting. Because they'll be the enemy of the Gould. It's mentioned it's never brought up again. The whole reason of being there was to find the Gould and they'd never been there, so well, all that's dropped pretty early on. Well, you've got to assume that this population originally brought to that world by the Gould. Yeah. It may be so far in the past that, you know, the idea of uh, the evil gods was something they created to explain the the illness. Or maybe it was just a change in leadership between the system lords or something. Yeah. New one comes in, well, he was a bad one, he's the one that made you all sick. I'm here to bring you peace and love. You wonder exactly why there is a civilization on this planet, because they don't seem to be, they're not mining anything, they're not creating technology. Was it just an outpost of one of the Gould who wanted his little holiday home or something like that? <laughs> well, you've seen the guards, they've, they've just got warriors and servants. Yeah. Just breeding cattle. It could have been something as simple as that. Yeah. A world that they used to cherry pick hosts when they needed them. Yeah. Okay then, Brock Divide. Done and dusted. Yeah, I I prefer emancipation. I did not I did not enjoy this rewatch at all. <laughs> yeah. The first season is spotty, we we've got to admit that, although probably not spotty as TNG's first season. <laughs> SG one certainly does get better as the the writing and the interactions between the characters improves. It's the norm for any series. Yeah, and I think that's the biggest problem, having to go back now after seventeen seasons of T V it just Coming into the series new, it probably wouldn't be as bad, but yeah, just sort of going back, learning some character motivations aren't there yet. Right, we'll call it a day there then. Next week's episode, sorry, the next episode, and no guarantee it's going to be in a week's time. (laughs) If everything goes according to plan, I I will be joined by Jeff on his first appearance on Stargate Archives to do the first commandment. As of yet, though, he just messages me saying he's just moved and he can't find his headphones. Oh. So that's pretty much up in the air as of yet. Hopefully he'll be able to find them. Mm. Yeah, that's a spirit. <laughs> it's lighting slope at the moment, so... The Knox, that's, that's a good episode. Yeah, that's definitely a pick-up. Brief Candle, that's Jack growing old, that's not too bad. Yeah, that's, that's one I'll return. Thor's Hammer, Tormented Tantalus. Yeah. Singularity, Enigma, Solitudes, they're but for the grace of God. Kinsey. We're about to get off that step. We're about to go up the step. <laughs> that stepped off, and now we're about to pick up big time. Yes, it is. Yeah. Right then, Brad, thank you very much, as always, for joining me this week. Uh, my pleasure, Mike. Thank you for having me. Right, give us an update of your podcasting. 
ventured into the minute-by-minute minute format and uh, doing the Lost World minutes, the sequel to Jurassic Park. Just uh, got a couple of guests on there talking about the movie. And, of course, Transformers Collectors Club Australia at transformerscca.com. Excellent. And thanks to Mac for the five-star UK iTunes review. Very much appreciated. And we may just tempt him onto the podcast. Okay then, folks, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, contact information if you'd like to get in touch with us. Stargatearchives.com is the website. Uh, email is stargatearchives at gmail.com. Twitter, at the Gatecast, which is one word. Facebook and Google+, Plus Gatecast as normal. Love to hear what you thought about the episodes, the format that we're doing at the moment. If you'd like to be involved, certainly we'd like to get more people involved. Uh, drop us a line if you're interested. But for now, I've been Mike. I've been Brad. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.